We're going to look at homes today, Christian homes. Now, I want you to hear me carefully so you don't go out of here misquoting me. Uh, some will like the message, some will not. Just like always. Okay? Do not go out here saying, Brother Gary was picking on me. He wrote that just for me. I did not. God gave me this, and there wasn't anybody popped in my mind, so you're out of luck. Okay? Secondly, I want to speak the truth in love. Some of the things I say might upset some people, but I'm not saying them to condemn anybody or anything else. They are spoken because I believe God's word is true, and I believe that we need to remember what a Christian home really looks like. Okay? And so, with that said, I'm not apologizing for God's word, but I do want to speak the truth in love. Elizabeth says sometimes I'm a little snarky. Whatever that word means, don't ask me. You can ask her later. I don't mean to be. Genesis chapter 2, go to verse 18. This is the creation account. Most scholars, at least conservative scholars, think that this, what we're reading, took place towards the end of the sixth day. Okay? And when I say that, and he finally creates woman, don't be like James Perky and say, oh, woman, we're afterthought. I did not say that. Okay? If you're talking about the crown jewel, it was man and woman. Okay? He didn't get the first. No, I didn't say that. He didn't get the man right, but he got the woman right. That's what the women want to think. So that's not what it says. It says, and the Lord God said, in verse 18, it is not good that a man should be alone. Did you hear that? I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever called them... Each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle of the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Notice Adam's delight. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for... Christian homes, thank you for our church and our church family. Father, speak to our hearts in a very clear and understandable way. And Father, I just ask that uh, you would bless your word. You'd let it accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Give me the words and only the words that you want spoken. And Father, would you just uh, teach us from your word and let us grow by it. And Father, if there's anyone here who has never accepted Jesus personally and publicly as our Lord and Savior, Convict them this very hour of doing that thing. And, Father, we know that will glorify you. We know that those are the kind of prayers that you answer. So guide us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There was a man in Paris, France. It was a dark and sort of gloomy, cloudy day. He was a long way from home in the United States. He was homesick. He missed his family, his friends, his co-workers. He's looked out the windows on that bleak, sort of wintry day. Uh, he could see the children and the parents playing. And he sat down and wrote uh, a love song, a loved song in American literature. And it's called Home Sweet Home. If you don't know it, it goes like this. Mid pleasures and places, though we may roam, be it ever so humble, 
there's no place like home. A charm from the skies seems to hallow us there, which sought through the world is ne'er met elsewhere. That's the way he thought of his home. I think that if you're going to summarize the scripture we read, it would be this. Christian homes should be surrendered to Christ. Christian homes should be surrendered to Christ. You see, there really is nothing sweeter than a home where Jesus rules supreme. And we need to understand that. And so notice some biblical truth about homes. The first was in verses 20 and 22. God created homes to be a sacred place. Verses 20 through 22. God created homes to be a sacred place. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. The rib which the Lord taken uh, from man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Now you may say I'm not a couple. Homes can be single folks. Homes can be single parent folks. Homes can be couples. Homes are homes. Especially if they're Christian homes. So what do we know about God creating it to be a sacred place? First of all, it's very simple. It's created by God. See, God established two institutions. One was the home and the other is the church. And you'll notice the priority he gave because the home was created first before the church was. But God also knew, okay, it wasn't an afterthought to make a woman. He also knew Adam needed a helpmeet, somebody comparable to him. Now listen to me. He knew that. He let Adam name the animals. None of them would do. Well, why did God wait so long? He wanted Adam to understand nothing else would do. You hear that? Adam was smart enough to figure that out. A skunk isn't going to get it. Some of you ladies may marry the skunk, but that was by accident. But hear me, he knew that. And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So it's created by God. And it says in verse 22, after he made her, he brought her to the man. Okay? I believe, and a lot of scholars believe, that when he did that, that's where the first wedding ceremony took place in the Garden of Eden. Because man was not meant to be alone. Man was meant to have a compliment to him. Man was meant to have a helpmeet. Her name was woman. Okay? It didn't say, and I'm going to say this, I don't want to offend anybody, but it didn't say he made Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve a helpmeet comparable to him. does not mean that we're not to love those who are in that lifestyle. It means that that's not the lifestyle God intended for a man and a woman to have. Okay? You see, I sort of like the way that English poet Lord Alfred Tennyson said it this way. He was talking about his wife and he said this, The peace of God came into, the life, came into my life before the altar when I wedded her. That's the way I feel about my wife. I thought I knew what love was growing up with my family. I didn't really know what love was till I married Elizabeth. I didn't know what peace and calm could be in a family until I married Elizabeth. She'll tell you that. My family fought. It was dysfunctional. Dysfunctional families just mean they're sinful families. Okay? But you need to understand that that's just the way it was. But the day I married Elizabeth, peace of God really came to live in our home. Okay, Not because of me, because of her. Praise God for Elizabeth. 
yeah, y'all don't realize, okay? I wake up at night and make sure that she's still there. So, it was cre- the home was created by God. The second thing I want you to know, the home was blessed by Jesus. We can go all through the New Testament scriptures and find that. There are many different pictures of Jesus in homes in the New Testament. We realize that he was brought up in the home of Mary and Joseph. Must have been quite a home. He healed Peter's mother-in-law in Peter's house, in Peter's home. He raised Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, from the dead in Jairus' home. He went to Mary Martha's many times. And one time he went there and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. You see, he anointed. He was anointed for his burial at Simon the leper's house by Mary. He loved homes. And when he started his public ministry, we don't know who the couple was, but it was a wedding in Cana of Galilee that he and his disciples attended together. And he did his first miracle of his public ministry at that wedding. See, Jesus blessed homes. You see, it sort of goes like this. There's a book called Accents of Life, and it's by R.L. Milton, and he gives the following story about a businessman. The businessman came home and found out from his wife that the pastor had been there to visit. And the pastor said, and the guy said, Oh, really? What did he have to say? She ducked her head and said, He asked if Jesus lived her lived here. If Jesus lived here, well, what'd you tell him? I couldn't say anything to him. What do you mean? You didn't tell him we were the biggest donors of the church? Well, no. You didn't tell him that we're there every Sunday? Well, no. You didn't tell him that that we both work on different committees in the church? No. Well, why didn't you tell him that? He didn't ask that. He asked if Jesus lived in our home. And that's the most important question we have to ask. Does Jesus live in our home? Whether you're single, whether you're a single parent, whether you're uh, uh, a widow or a widower, whether... You're a young adult on your own. Whether you're a married couple with children or grandchildren, the question is, does Jesus live in your home? Have you surrendered your home to Jesus? That's the question we have to answer. But you see, it's created by God, blessed by men, blessed by Jesus, and sometimes it's honored by men. And I put a question mark in my notes about that. You see, today I often find that marriage is scorned. They tell me, according to statistics, that young people are not getting married as often anymore. They don't believe in marriage. They've seen too much hurt from marriage. That's not really honoring. Sometimes it comes as an afterthought. Sometimes couples live together. Sometimes, uh, you know, they procreate before marriage. If you don't know what that word means, ask or look it up later. But all those things doesn't honor the home. But I can go on. Our divorce rate in America is so high, it doesn't honor the home. It causes all kinds of pain. Child abuse and spousal abuse is at an all-time high. That doesn't honor the home. Drug abuse and alcohol abuse doesn't honor the home. Pornographic images on all of our things at home do not honor the home. You see... We need to get back to surrendering to Jesus, and I want us to understand that. We need to bring God honor in our homes. Now, before you think I'm picking on you and I don't understand and this and that and the other, realize I, I do understand. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. You know, it, it's, it's sort of private to me, but I'll share uh, so you'll understand where I'm coming from. My mother, when she had me, was not married. She had a child out of wedlock in 1961. It was a shameful thing for her family. It was a thing they all wanted her to hide. 
As a matter of fact, many of them recommended her to get an abortion. My mama came up with two things. One, she had God's forgiveness. Two, it wasn't my fault. She was going to bring me into the world and teach me about Jesus. Until the day she died, I was a blessing to her. She told me that because I always felt like that I had been a burden to her. It changed her life forever. It was hard for her to make it. And she married my dad and he had to raise me. I wasn't his biologically, but he raised me. But he wasn't a Christian. And she told me many times that she thought that maybe she should have stayed single. I said, no, Mama, you wouldn't have made it at all. So don't tell me I don't understand. I do. Now, for those that want to say, well, yeah, Brother Gary, but that wasn't right. You're right. It wasn't right. It wasn't God's plan to do that outside of marriage. My mother admitted that and repented of that. When we see people that do that, I want to tell you something not to do. Don't you get after them on Facebook. You don't have to remind them what's right and wrong. They know it if they're a Christian. They know it if they've been raised in church. You show a loving side, and then when, you're, when you've earned the right to speak into their lives, then you speak God's truth into their lives. Now, some didn't like me saying that, but that's the truth. Don't attack people because their lifestyle is different. Show them the right lifestyle by how you live and how I live. I want you to know God had a plan and a pattern, and we're supposed to follow that plan and pattern as Christians. Now you can say amen. Okay? But life isn't always perfect, and sometimes we mess up like my mama did. Okay? But she had God's forgiveness, and it was because of her not aborting me that God called me, I believe, to the ministry. And so I have a little bit different look on it than some people. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But I think it's a biblical look. Speak the truth in love. Okay? Let's go on. Do we honor God in our homes? The second point is this. Not only did God create homes, you realize God created homes for a purpose. A purpose. Okay? Uh, C. Roy Angel wrote a book called Shields of of, uh, Brass and he was writing about the novelist, Scott Fitzgerald. And when he died, they looked through his house on his desk. They found an un, unfinished manuscript for his next book. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> here, was the, here was the premise of the book. This really wealthy guy died and left everything to his family. He said, well, good. But here was the hitch. They all had to come and live together in the same mansion for a year. That was the plot. And underneath that plot, out in the corner, he wrote, sort of tickled with himself, this could be a spot of hell. And unfortunately, some of our homes can be exactly that. But when we surrender them to Jesus, when we try to live his word, when we try to do what he wants us to do, instead of a spot of hell, our homes can actually be an oasis of heaven. There should have been some amens because that's the truth. Does that mean we don't have problems? No. Does that mean your family's perfect, Brother Gary? No. But again, I didn't take all my problems home from the church or anywhere else. And Elizabeth tried to make it a spot of heaven for the children and for me. You see, so what is the purpose of God creating homes? 
The first one was this, for companionship. Again, in 24 and 25, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Okay? And so he made woman. And he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. And the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined uh, together. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked. And the man and his wife were not ashamed. It was for companionship. You see? Companionship. Man was not made to be alone. In our day, as it's been for years now, uh, loneliness is one of the number one maladies that I find in homes. We're more, more plugged in and busier than we've ever been, and supposedly no more friends that follow us on Facebook and Twitter and whatever else you're on, Spotify, I don't know. No, that isn't right, huh, Elizabeth? No, she said that didn't work. <laughs> Did you see her lose it? Everybody look at Elizabeth so she turned red. What's it called, Brother Galen? He's laughing too. You don't know. Whatever, okay. You got followers. But we're still lonely. That's my point. Matter of fact, the Swiss psychiatrist Paul Turnier, who is known uh, pretty much around the world in his field, said that loneliness is the most devastating malady of our age. People are lonelier than they've ever been. Evangelist Billy Graham said he believes one problem that bothers our society more than any other is that more than 80% of people are lonely. And 80% of psychiatric patients during the last survey, the number one reason they came to see a psychiatrist is they're devastatingly lonely. God knew that, and so he made us for companionship. And when he addressed it, he brought Eve and gave her to Adam. One of the purposes of the home is for companionship. Whoever's in your home, are you listening? Are you treating them as a companion? Not lording over them like a slave. Not treating them just good when they do something for you. But are they your companion? Do you actually sit down and talk? I mean really talk? Without fighting. Too many people have progressive discussion. It gets hotter and hotter and progresses more and more. That's not what I'm talking about. Companionship where you treat each other with mutual respect. See, I have guys come up to you all the time. Tell my wife to be submissive. Ephesians says, submit to your husband. And then I point to the, the verse before that. It says, submit equally to one another under the Lord. And they don't like that one. Hello? See, it's companionship. God knew that we needed companionship. He gave us for that. The second one is for the purpose of propagation. God's intent still in marriage is for children if it's his will. Not everyone's blessed with children. Some are, some are not. Back to those who practice a different lifestyle. They can't have children unless there's somebody outside intervening. They're not compatible. Do you get what I'm saying, adults? That's another reason I know it's not God's will. The propagation of the species requires a male and a female. Do you understand that? Say amen. amen. And again, I want, to, I want you to hear me. It's not for us to condemn them or be fair cycles. It's for us to love them into the kingdom of God. That's the only thing that's going to work, y'all. They have every argument that you try to make against it. They have an argument for it. Don't argue. Love. Show your love by how you treat them with respect and honor because they are made in God's image. They're sinful, just like we are. It's been marred by sin. All of us have. Treat them as fellow sinners 
that you're trying to introduce Jesus to. Boy, it got quiet in here. What's the deal? When I talk about children, there's a couple of things I want to say. The first one is this. Brother Galen, wave your hand up there so everybody can see you. Those of you that have young people, it is not his job to make them come to church. He is not to entertain them so that your child just wants to come to church. Are you hearing me? It is your job to bring them to church. It's not my job to get on to them when they've been bad. You need to talk to little Johnny because he's just been acting terrible. No, you talk to little Johnny. I raised my kids, you raise yours. Was that too harsh, Elizabeth? She's ignoring everything I'm saying. She told me not to say it when we got to that part. See? But that's the truth. You are a Christian parent. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You have the Word of God to guide you. Raise your children. If you need help, I'll pray for them. I'll do like I think. I'm not going to spank them, and I'm not going to be the big bad bear where you come and give them to me, and then they're afraid to come down the aisle because they don't like me. You be the big bad bear. I want them to like me. That's enough of that, isn't it? Elizabeth says yes. So we've, we've got... <clears throat> That it's for the purpose of companionship. It's for the purpose of propagation. It's also for the purpose of molding character. How many of you in here would be the person that you are now if it were not for your parents? Okay. How many of you are the person you are now because of your parents? That tells you something about godly parents. They mold character in the home. We talk about character a lot and the lack of it in our, in our society. Well, guess what? It's not all the politicians' fault. It's not the school's fault. It's the family's fault. The family is the test tube for society. It's where we mold character. And it's one of the chief jobs of our home is to teach them right from wrong. And I'm going to tell you how you do that. You live it and you teach them God's word and you pray and pray and pray some more. You shed tears over them. My mama used to say, it's okay, Gary. Right now they walk on your feet. When they get older, they walk on your heart. And I didn't understand that until they turned about 13. Oh, my goodness. My precious little angel girls turned into something else. The ones who never did anything but just smile at daddy and come running to him would roll their eyes and run away. And go, <sighs> and it's so funny. Mason goes, <sighs> I don't know where he learned that. And I thought, really? But you see, we mold character. It sort of works like this. Uh, Samuel Taylor Coolidge is an English uh, novelist. He had a friend come and visit one day, and they were discussing their families. And he said, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to give any of my children any religious instructions. I don't want my child's mind to be bent one way or the other. I want to make up their own mind. Coolidge didn't say a thing. They continued talking. And uh, Coolidge said, you want to come see my garden? He said, sure. I'd love to see your garden. This is a beautiful place. They walk out and there's the garden. It's got weeds everywhere. There's stuff growing in it that you couldn't tell what it was. And the guy said, whoa, what an awful garden. There's nothing here but weeds. And Coolidge said this, I didn't want to influence my garden in any way. I wanted to make up his mind and just have a chance to express itself for whatever it chose to produce. Parents, mold character if you want a good crop. Okay? And that's what we have to decide, and you're responsible for that. Now, your Sunday school teacher is going to help you. 
because they're going to teach that word of God. Your team kids, kids are going to help you because they're going to teach that word of God. Brother Galen on Wednesday nights with the youth is going to teach the word of God. It's going to help you. But you've got to do your part too at home. Or else we get a bunch of weeds. and Everybody wonders why these kids are growing like weeds. There's a reason. And don't get me wrong. We're blessed in our area and in our church to have some really good families and some really, really good kids. If you don't think they're good, hang out with Brother Gay in a little while and you'll pray a lot harder for him. Right? You know, I could tell you all a story, but I'm not going to. I uh, was reintroduced to youth the other night at uh, Wednesday night meals, visiting with some of them, and I thought, oh my word, I got to pray harder for Brother Galen. <laughs> but it's for the purpose of molding character. And the, the final thing is this the home's real purpose is for glorifying God, it's for glorifying God. You see, Christian homes that are surrendered to Jesus glorify God. They may not be perfect, but they're surrendered. Uh, you know, they're, they're not uh, pharisaical or judgmental. They're ju- judgmental. They're surrendered. They're not withdrawn or hidden from society. They're surrendered. Are your home surrendered to Jesus? In other words, he said, look, he who has my words and does them is likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the floods came and the storms, storms blew against it and it did not crash because it was founded on the rock. He who does not practice my words is like a foolish man who built his hands upon the sand and the rains come and the wind blew and great was its crash because it was not founded on the rock and the word crash or calamity, whatever yours does, means utter ruin. Our homes need help. And God has already provided the help. He has His Word. We have His Word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Christian friends. We have things to come to the church to study and learn about God. Well, that's an awful simple answer. Well, I don't have a complex answer because you can say, Amen, I'm an awful simple person. I'm just simple enough to believe that this works. And here's how it works we do it and obey, and things go right. We disobey, things go wrong. That's my own life included. This is my mama's life. After everything that she'd been through, when I surrendered to the ministry, I thought she'd be happy because she'd raised me to be a Christian and, and wanted me to do a lot better than I had been doing. And When God finally got a hold of me and turned me the way I was supposed to go and I surrendered to preach, her answer was, why do you want to be think so hard-headed? And I said, what are you talking about? I learned what she meant, but she came to take great pride that even though things hadn't started right, so far in her eyes they had ended right. So what do you do with this message? I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. Don't worry about gathering up. You're going to have time. We're going to get out of here on time. Maybe you need to come and pray for your home here at the altar, or have me pray with you. Maybe you need to come and surrender your home anew to Jesus. Maybe your kids are grown and gone, and you want to come and pray for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. Maybe you want to pray for the next-door neighbor or that colleague you work with or something of that nature, and you want to pray. You pray for salvation for somebody, like my mama did. She prayed for my daddy for 17 years before he accepted Christ. Never missed a day. Maybe you need to pray that. Maybe you need to come and just say, we surrender this to you. 
So, Father, I'm going to pray you come in rededication to join the church, to be saved, to surrender your home to Christ, whatever you need to do. Father, I just ask that your will and only you will be done. And that, Father, that uh, you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.